All right, let's get into God's Word. We're in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. But before we get there, I'd like to bring you to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 first. So growing up, after I became a Christian at 16, after high school and I started working immediately a full-time job, one of my favorite points of the day was to run out to my car during lunch so I could turn on the local Christian radio station to listen to the various pastors teach. And I'll never forget one day out in my car, still new to all of this Christianity thing, and I heard a pastor say, let's go ahead and open our Bibles, he says, to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And he began to read. And he said, he began in verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in the holy conduct and in godliness, goodness, godliness excuse me, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And after reading that, he said, now the title of my message is, It's All Gonna Burn. I was like, okay. That pastor is still teaching on the radio today, Pastor Raul Reese, if you haven't had a chance. He was one of my favorite pastors growing up. In fact, going out to a conference in 1988 to Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck Smith's church, uh, I was sitting at the end of a pew, and the church was so filled that the aisles, people were filling, filling the aisles, sitting on the floor in front of the church, etc. And these two guys sit down next to me on the floor. Now, I didn't realize as a Christian I probably should have offered them my seat, but hey, I was like, hey, you snooze, you lose. First come, first serve, right? Isn't that the biblical way? No, I'm kidding. But after the message, after Pastor Chuck got done teaching, I was sitting there with my Bible and my, the people I were with they were all gathered in a conversation. I was reading, trying to learn and to understand all that was being said. And all of a sudden, I felt this tap on my arm. And I turned around and I see this man sitting on the floor reaching up to me to try to shake my hand. He goes, hi, I'm Pastor Raul Reese. And that was the way he talked. He had a heavy accent. And he then sat with me for 30 minutes and gave me a Bible study. And all of it was on, as a young man should be pure in the Lord. I, I thought it was amazing. But I never forgot that day. It's all going to burn. It was actually a saying that we used to say to one another, and it kept everything into perspective. It kept the material world in perspective. We weren't interested in gold and glitter at that point. We were just interested in glorifying God in and through our lives. Well, today's message is entitled, The Fall, or Babylon Has Fallen, excuse me. But I could easily entitle it, It's All Going to Burn. I want to read this to you because 
these words are very poignant. It's a question, and I want you to consider this question before we proceed. What if the entire world as you know it, people, things, events, activities, were suddenly to collapse? What if your source of comfort, luxury, and entertainment were lost forever? Sounds like a bad sci-fi movie, doesn't it, he asks? What kind of thought, that kind of thought frightens people. Nobody wants the stock market to crash, the power grid to fail, their employer to go bankrupt, or a hurricane to level their city. But he said, too much of our lives depend on this world continuing on just as it is. Last week in Revelation chapter 17, we looked at the first of the four pillars of tyranny be judged by God, the religious aspect of this tyranny of the Antichrist, which is significant. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. In our chapter today, two other pillars are now going to be dealt with, the economic and the political pillar. There are four total. The fourth is dealt with at the Battle of Armageddon, that is the military element of tyranny. Some argue not only the military, but also the cultural aspect of the military. Today, as we see the fall of the political and economic power of the world, please notice with me as we read through Revelation 18, the response of the various individuals who watch all that they have lived for all that they had committed their life to, disappear before their eyes. It is at this moment that God judges the entire world according to his righteousness. That's why we read the psalm and the portion of the psalm that we did today. It is at this point, as Moses once said in Numbers 32.23, but if you do not know so, take note, he says, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. But not only does that hold for the individual, but for the whole world. As Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he wrote in chapter 8, verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Meaning, because the world doesn't collapse on my head after doing something wrong, I misinterpret it. I believe that God approves of it. And yet they're completely misunderstanding what God is doing. It isn't that he approves of their evil works whatsoever. It is his long-suffering in hopes that they come to repentance. That's what God is doing by not judging immediately. It by no means indicates that he is for the sin or condones the sin of the individual or the nation of the individuals. During the 2020 riots, many people lit the fires that they did hoping to symbolize the burning down of the system in which they believe is so corrupt 
so systematically racist that it can no longer exist in its current form. It must be absolutely destroyed and rebuilt. In fact, I remember one rioter stating that he believed that all should burn. Let it all burn, he said. You know, i got to confess something to you right now before we go on any farther. As many as you know, I grew up in the 1980s, and I'm as heavy metal as it gets, even to this day. Don't have the hair anymore for it. you just got to imagine that. But all this week, I have to confess this, I've been listening to a country song. Yes, I know. I know you're shocked. As my dad would have said, hell must have frozen over. Not that I have anything against country at all. It just was never my cup of tea. But this song has created such a stir that I had to listen to it, and now I can't stop listening to it. The song is called Try That in a Small Town by Jason Aldean. If you haven't heard it, let me encourage you to do so, because I think it speaks uh, out loudly what many of us are feeling inside. I'm thinking about rewriting it and creating a heavy metal version. Don't try that in a small church (laughs) to come out on, on iTunes next month. But in it, you sense the frustration that people are feeling. And of course, the mainstream media called it racist. They called it, you know, fear-mongering. They called it inciting violence because it would depict the riots of 2020. And he asked the question, don't try that in a small town. Don't think you're going to get away with it in a small town because we're a community that pulls together and stands up for one another. And listening to it, I'm like, I think a lot of people in America feel that way today. I don't think that the current wave of wokeism, now this may shock you, is actually as popular as we think it is. I think it is dissipating rapidly before us. And we see this by the various boycotts of the various companies that have gone out on an in great lengths to promote wokeism. They're losing billions of dollars. And if you don't think that that speaks volumes to corporations, you're sadly mistaken. I don't know a corporation that isn't in it for profit. For profit. I think God's getting ready to do something. And I want to be part of what God is about to do. But ultimately, in the end, we all know that Babylon will fall, and it's all going to burn in the end. Let's begin in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, 
And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Babylon indicates the last world system. It is a system that is in antithesis of God. It is the opposite of. It is everything that God hates. It consists of. It is the creation of the ruler of this world. For there is only two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan himself. And this world has manifested itself and has risen once again to prominence in these last days that we have read here in the book of Revelation under the leadership of the Antichrist. For he has, uh, he has seduced their religion, he has bolstered their economy, and he has forced himself upon the leadership of the world. And now all of that will be judged once and for all. If we are to understand Babylon, it must begin with the Tower of Babel, man's attempt to reach God in and of himself, fortifying the Tower of Babel in a way that would make it impregnable to water, never allowing God to judge by a flood again in their mind. But not only did they try to reach God through their own means, they also disobeyed God. Instead of scattering across the face of the earth, they stayed clustered together in hopes that that unity would show superiority to that of God. God then reached down, came down, saw what they were doing, confused their language, and divided them to fulfill his plans and purposes. But that mentality has remained. And through every empire that we've ever seen in the world since, starting with Babylon itself in the Old Testament, the Babylonian Empire, then all the way down to the Roman Empire during the time of John. John sees this as the continuation of the prophecies of the Old Testament, saying that these various empires will uh, oppress the Jewish people. The time of the Gentiles, the time that they will... Uh, no longer be a sovereign nation, even to the point where they can no longer carry out capitalist uh, um, capital punishment. Excuse me. And now John is saying that this whole system in this, these last days will come to an end. Now, undoubtedly, as John calls this a city, he is referring to the city of Rome itself, which embodied the empire uh, that he is speaking of the epicenter of the ruler of this world, Satan himself. And he is saying that God will deal with it all. And when he does deal with it, it will be permanent. Turn with me to Isaiah 13, if you will. In Isaiah chapter 13, when God says that he will deal with Babylon... Starting in verse 19 of chapter 13 of the book of Isaiah. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldean prides, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah did not rise again, did it? After the destruction that God brought against it. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. 
nor will uh, the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there. I don't, I didn't, ostriches is a sign of the judgment of God. Now we understand ostriches a little better. And wild goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels and the jackals in the pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. But during the days of John as he is exiled on the island of Patmos, Rome is that city. The city of seven hills. The embodiment of the Babylonian Empire. The continuation of the oppression of the Jewish people and the representation of the world empire here on earth. Satanic's rule from the start. In Jeremiah 51, we again read, if you turn there with me to verse 24, <clears throat> God says, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea, for all the evil they have done in Zion, in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll down uh, from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. So this system that has plagued the Jewish people and God's people from the beginning will be dealt with once and for all here in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. Now Peter said something interesting. Peter said something interesting in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 13. The reason I believe that they saw and viewed Rome as the continuation of Babylon. For Peter stated, she who is in Babylon. Well, Babylon didn't exist at this point. He is none, none other referring to Rome. Elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark my son. <clears throat> he saw the continuation of the mindset, the religious, the economic, the political, the military aspects of these various empires continuing in his day in the form of the Roman Empire, and lastly, at the end times under the Antichrist, in the form of the ten nations that will come together under the leadership of the Antichrist. The great commentator Donald Barnhouse wrote in his commentary, what is this world but a combination of religion, government, and commerce? In other words, Babylon in all its parts stands for that which Christ called the world. And that's what we see today. This symbolic city continued during John's day and will be present in the days of the last days prior to the return of Jesus Christ. All of the world has been infected by this world's systems thinking. Verse 3, 
Notice with me. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Meaning, they've partaken in it. They're intoxicated by it. They're wooed by it. They're seduced by it. The kings of the earth have committed fornication, spiritual fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So we see economics and political development here benefiting corruptibly based on the world system found in these last days. But in verse 2, there's something very interesting that John gives us. And it's something that we need to consider today. Why are all of these things happening around us? Over the last three years, if I could have a dollar for every Christian, every one of you, that have said to me personally, publicly, privately, I just don't understand what's going on in the world today. It doesn't make sense anymore. What happened? Now, many people believe that this came upon us suddenly without us knowing about its presence. That would be incorrect. It has been festering under the, the surface for decades. If you knew what was happening in our universities in the 90s and the early 2000s and then in the 2010s, etc., it is at no surprise whatsoever that we are seeing some of the insanity in our world today that we are seeing. But did it originate there? How is it possible that our world could be as confused as it is simply on the identity of gender itself? Now think about that for a moment. Did any of us ever wonder, you know, before 2020, you know, about, well, I wonder what gender they are. I'm sorry, that's just not a question that ever came in my mind. I never had a problem knowing what bathroom to use. But today, we have a dysphoria that is so complex and common that it plagues apparently so many young people that very great lengths are being achieved and attempted to try to reverse their natural biology. Did you ever think that we would sit and watch the hearing of a Supreme Court justice being asked a simple question by one of the politicians, what is a woman, and not be able to answer that question? What is happening? Well, I think the Bible gives us an answer of what is happening. What is happening is that we are seeing the influence of the demonic world upon our physical world now. As Christianity begins to recede, as fewer and fewer people are spending time in God's Word and following Christ, we are seeing a growing acceptance to worldly ideologies that originate in demonic forces themselves. Now, this isn't a premise that I am simply introducing you to today. It is a premise that Paul the Apostle himself <coughs> believed greatly in his time. But back in Isaiah 21, verses 8 and 9, should be on the screen behind me. Then he cried, A lion, my Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. 
I have sat at my post every night, and look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Notice that. Why did God say that to Isaiah? What is the significance of these gods in the role of the Babylonian Empire? And why was it needed to be communicated to Isaiah that they have fallen and that God has overcome them? One of the things we as Christians need to remember constantly is that there is a spiritual world behind the veil of the physical world. Now, as much as our society wants to uh, tell us that that world doesn't exist, part of the Enlightenment period of Moderna, you know, uh, of Moderna, you know, where we get you know the modern thinking, modernity, is that the spiritual world doesn't exist, and all that truly exists is physical reality that we can interact with with the senses that we have been given. But that isn't true, is it? We as Christians realize that there's a whole world behind this world. And now I believe we are seeing the influence of that demonic world upon our society today. Now again, this is nothing new. For in Ephesians chapter 6... Verses 10 through 13. As we read this together, think of what Paul is saying. He is talking about spiritual warfare. And he states, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice with me back in Revelation 18.2. When John writes, and he cried mightily with a voice, saying, that is the angel, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of what? Demons. Prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. What God is dealing with, and I believe John substantiates this in Revelation 17, is that God needed to deal with the spiritual world behind the physical world before he then dealt with the physical world. Notice in the New Testament, when we talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ specifically, that he overcame principalities and powers by doing so. Meaning that he had the authority to stop them in their tracks. Then we go back to Ephesians, and he says here very clearly, that if we are going to stand against the wiles of the devil, his schemings, his strategies, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now I'm going to be really honest with you at this point. I know you probably are thinking, I hope you're honest with this all the time. But at this point, I'm going to divulge to you that scholars admit 
we don't know what Paul is listing here. Historically, these words in the Greek were used to describe the spiritual influences between those ranked in the Roman Empire. What do I mean by that? They believed that if an individual came from a certain family line or achieved a certain rank within the Roman Empire, it was a spirit behind them that gave them that ranking and that placement, okay? Culminating with Caesar, who believed he was a deity, okay? So this hierarchy that Paul lists here, many believe Paul is simply playing upon a cultural understanding that those ranked in the Roman Empire had spirits that ranked them there, allowed them those positions. Of course, then with the ultimate, Caesar Nero being God himself. But Paul is saying it very clearly that our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. We need to redirect our focus. For every one hour that we protest, two hours should be spent in prayer. For every hour we take a petition, two hours should be spent in prayer. We need to refocus our attention because I believe that we are now seeing the direct influence of demonic forces in our nation. And if we are going to take it to them, okay, if we think that they're going to try that in a small church, they got another thing coming, I recommend you don't then we need to be men and women of prayer. We need to fight this battle in the manner in which God has taught us to fight it, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal, fleshly. As much as I think it would be cool for Larry to stand at the front door with a bazooka, it's not going to do anything. It may look good. He may get arrested. <clears throat> but it's not going to solve the problem. And what John is revealing to us here is that before the world empire could be fully judged, God dealt with the principalities and powers behind the scene, and then he dealt with the physical before us. And that's what we're going to see here today. In 17, he dealt with the religious aspect, and in 18, he's going to deal with the political, the kings, and he's going to deal with the economic here as he talks about the merchants who benefited. Think of the corruption our politicians are involved in today. The level of corruption in our country today is something, it's staggering. And it's clearly visible to us all. But what do we do about it? Do we believe we're simply going to elect in new people and they're going to take care of all of it? Well, I sure hope they take care of some of it. But we need to be praying we need to be fighting the battle against our true enemy in the privacy of our own home, behind closed doors, getting on our knees before the Lord and interceding on behalf of our nation. In verse 4, And I heard another loud voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. 
Paul the Apostle went on to say something very interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. When he's talking about the worship of idols, notice what he says here. For 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 22, he says, what am I saying then? He knew that this was a difficult concept for them to understand. That an idol is anything, or what it is offered to an idol is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to what? Demons, and not to God. Paul the Apostle fully knew that behind the idols, the pagan idols that were worshipped in the city of Corinth, was a demonic presence. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Of course not, right? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. How many times does he have to say it? Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are we stronger than He? Notice what He's saying there. I want to refocus you today. I want you to get together with your spouse, with your family after church and during this week and just pray together. If you're single, I just want you to take time with God each and every day, praying for our nation, praying for a move of God like we've never seen before. Praying to see uh, the Lord show himself strong in the background of such darkness, corruption, and injustice like our nation has never seen before. But to do that, we must fight the battle on our knees. But he calls his people out. As Jeremiah called the people to repentance, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, so God, still concerned about the salvation of his people, even at this moment in time. For her sin have reached the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. They aren't getting away with anything, folks. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repaid her double according to her works. In the cup of which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, swiftly, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Notice here with me the ultimate sin. The ultimate sin here is the arrogance, the hubris of this last empire under the reign of the Antichrist. Believing that no one is superior to him. And isn't that interesting? The Antichrist at this point, indwelt by Satan is, of course, being led by the same motivation that Satan was when he fell from heaven to begin with. Pride. Is it any shock to us that we should see such self-centeredness in our nation today? Christianity is based on selflessness. It's based on sacrifice. 
One politician recently just admitted, he said that if we are going to heal this nation, we must learn how to sacrifice for one another once again. But if we're all in it for ourselves, is it possible that this self-revolution that we see, you know, just sweeping across our nation to the degree that we do, is also demonically driven? Well, to me, I would say yes, because it's exactly what John is writing about here. And when judgment comes, judgment will come quickly. As Jeremiah stated in Jeremiah 51, 6 through 9, notice what he says to the people. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged, crazy, insane. Notice the language here. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her. Pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone, to his own country, for her judgment reaches to the heaven and is lifted up to the sky. God sees it, sees everything from where he is at, and will hold them accountable. As we continue on in verse 9 of chapter 18, Then the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep, and it is a deep mourning and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. The politicians will all stand back as the world system crumbles before their eyes. The system that they corrupted, the system that gave them the power and authority. Everything that they had been living for up until this moment will dissipate before their eyes in a moment in time. And they will weep and mourn and lament. Each one of these individuals undoubtedly, when seeing the destruction of this world system before them, I would imagine they were rubbing their hand. Why did I ever take this? I thought I had it made. I could buy and sell. Why? Why did I ever take this? But their fate was sealed. Judgment had arrived. Notice with me, as they saw the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, For in one hour your judgment has come. Now, some speculate that the city of Babylon itself will be rebuilt. There are those who believe that, who believe that these texts support that. But in apocalyptic Jewish writing, when the term city is used, it means a system. Think of all that happens in a city. There's commerce, there's politics, there's education, there's entertainment. It's a system, okay? Is there a difference between the cities of America and rural America today? 
Is there a difference? Absolutely. When you talk about our cities, we're talking about a system. And also when you talk about heaven in the Bible, notice with me that it's not called a city, but a country. Meaning that people inhabit a city within a country, and we're looking for our ultimate country, that is heaven itself. Okay? The everlasting interaction in, in the presence of our God. So undoubtedly he's speaking of Rome, because Rome seemed invincible at the point in which John was writing. That it was never going to fail. It was unlike any of the empires that it succeeded. It, military power was staggering. But John's saying this is all going to end. It's all going to end, and ultimately it's going to end once and for all for good. In verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon. I like cinnamon, but apparently that's going to come to an end. Cinnamon and incense, frankincense and frankincense, fragrant oil, excuse me, and frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies of the souls of men. The last one there seems to indicate that under the reign of the Antichrist, slavery returns. Very interesting. Again, showing how demonic it actually is. Just after we talked about the sound of freedom a couple weeks ago, I'm sure most of you heard of the arrest that took place in this area, where five people were charged with trafficking right here in South Elgin, Elgin, in St. Charles, unincorporated Palatine. Ten women were recovered by the task force. Trafficking is real. We cannot sweep it under the rug. The sound of freedom to this day continues to make box office, uh, break box office records. Again, we need to wake up to the reality of the things going on around us. Again, demonic in nature and should not be tolerated in any way, shape, or form. In verse 14, the fruit of your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who, who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And then they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. 
For in one hour she is made desolate. And then John writes, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The same system that persecuted Christians is now being judged by God. But notice with me, notice with me those merchants. And it talks about a local economy. It talks about a global economy. All deriving from this world system. The riches that they had all obtained and accumulated have now come to nothing. And I can't help but to think of those, the words of Jesus. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? We need to re-examine our personal interaction with wealth. It's not wrong to be wealthy. But it is wrong for that wealth to dominate you. It is wrong for that wealth to be the single greatest pursuit in your life. God would have generous Christians, hilarious givers, individuals that aren't only willing to give from their wealth, but to continue to give in their poverty as he really illuminated that when the widow came with her two mites and gave in the temple there in Jerusalem. But the whole world system that people have put their faith and trust and identity in comes to an end in a moment before their eyes and there's weeping and wailing and mourning because now they realize that those things that they thought were going to continue forever have now quickly come to an end. And as a result... They are devastated. What seemed, uh, what seemed impossible has become possible. What seemed immortal became temporal. And in their eyes, they see their life and their pursuit of life come to an end. And in verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus the violence of the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists and musicians and flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more, nor craftsmen or any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard in you any more shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and all who were slain, on the earth. It all comes to an end. I think more and more people today now than ever are starting to say, see the insufficiencies of the world around us. I think they're asking questions now that they haven't asked in decades. There has to be more to this life than what we see before us. The pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of luxury items, materialism, 
There has to be more. But as Chuck Swindoll asked us at the very beginning, too many Christians are dependent on the world remaining as it is currently today. We unfortunately have become too much part of the world and no longer appear to be individuals drawn out of her. We need to re-examine things. For if it all goes south and we are no longer able to enjoy the materialism that we enjoy today, will we still be faithful to our God? Will we still walk with Him? I certainly believe that we'll be removed before the seven-year tribulation period in the rapture, but we, we don't have any idea how bad it could get up until that point. We need to re-examine things as Christians, and I'm hoping that this passage will do that for us today. In closing, I'd like to take you back to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'd like to ask you this question that he asks of all of us in the light of the last days. Notice with me, and I'm going to read this again in closing. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, another word, interesting, melted away. Notice the question that he asks us here, and I want you to thoroughly consider it. What manner of persons ought you to be? In light of the revelation and the knowledge that things are going to come to an end, that the world system will be judged and brought to nothing, and that Jesus Christ one day will physically return to this world. Peter doesn't give a question to those outside the church. He questions you and I within it. What manner of persons or what type of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Hey, I don't want you to be like the world because of what's coming up. I want you to be as far from it as possible. I want you to be like Jesus in these last days. I want you to be concerned about your friends, family members, and co-workers, and neighbors who don't know me. So many Christians say they want to, you know, cross the world to take the gospel to all of the nations. And I ask the question, why don't you just cross the street and take it to the neighbor and ask them if they know Jesus. In verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Interesting phrase, and Peter again alludes to this fact that he believed that getting the gospel out to all the world would hasten the return of Jesus Christ. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we as Christians look for a new heaven and a new earth which righteousness dwells. And that word dwell in the Greek can also be Englishly translated where righteousness reigns. Dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. But as he sits on the throne there in Jerusalem, righteousness will reign forevermore and forevermore. Amen.